Recently, the former editor of the New Zealand Herald, Gavin Ellis, asked a rather bleak question in his weekly blog, Nightly News. Have years of low pay, low esteem and layoffs taken such a toll on journalists that they have become incapable of viewing the world as anything but a grim, dark place? Our news outlets are pervaded by negativity, he lamented, and not for nothing. There's a cost-of-living crisis at the moment, there's lots of crime, inequality and a pandemic, which, according to Gavin Ellis, has left a residue of anxiety. And in his weekly commentary last week, Gavin Ellis wondered about the toll that big media jobs had taken on those who had decided to quit them lately, even though they're far better paid than the people who worked under them. At the Herald, long-serving chief editor Shane Curry had stepped aside recently to write about the media instead as an editor-at-large, and Mariana Alexander, head of premium content at the Herald's publisher NZME, resigned last month to take a break with her family. TVNZ's chief executive Simon Power left at the end of June, and senior producer Sam Robertson, in charge of TVNZ's breakfast show for years, also resigned recently. And also, in June, the head of news at MediaWorks, Dallas Gurney, left the media business entirely, and along with his partner, bought the shop in the Northland beach town of Fananaki for a complete change of scene. And Gavin Ellis saw a trend in this that he said shouldn't be ignored. Some media executives have given so much of their lives to the job that they have had an epiphany and want some of that life back. Well, the longest-serving media CEO in this country now, by some margin, is RNZ's Paul Thompson. So does he reckon that senior editorial ranks are thinning out right now because, in part, it's got all a bit much for many of them? Gavin's uh, observations are, yeah, are on point in that the jobs are tough. Um, that they probably have got tougher over time. But there's great people coming through, and there'll always be a new generation coming through. And interesting, you know, that people go on and do some really interesting things after these kind of jobs, which is great for them as individuals. Is there something going on at the moment that you think that is, as he put it, uh, causing senior editorial leaders to have, in Gavin's words, a bit of an epiphany and they want their life back? I'm not sure, and I think all of those individuals have different reasons. But, um, you know, the jobs are demanding. Um, they're not getting any easier, and there's a life beyond them as well. So good on them. RNZ's Chief Executive and Editor-in-Chief Paul Thompson there. Well, one of the senior news leaders to leave the news media lately is one of his. Over more than three decades in the business, at a range of broadcasters, Richard Sutherland left RNZ recently after almost five years as its head of news. Richard was also the chair of the outfit that represents the mutual interests of our news media, the Media Freedom Committee. So... Why quit now? Richard, looking back through your long history here, uh, Telecom Extra, ZB, Sky, TV3, uh, then News Hub as it became, uh, and RNZ in the past, what, quarter century or so, maybe maybe even longer than that. Are you leaving now just because you've filled the bingo card and <laughs> you've got the set? I haven't got Fakata Māori on my uh, bingo card sorted out yet, but maybe there's still time. Uh, no, look, it's uh, it's just time for a change. You know, you get to a certain point in your life and you think, OK, well, my faculties are reasonably intact and my knees are still good, so uh, now is a good time to go and do some fun things rather than waiting around until the official retirement age of 65 or whatever and doing it when I can't quite, you know, do what I want to do. So I got to the start of this year and thought, OK, well, there are a couple of things I want to get done and so what, what were those specific things well i wanted to um, help the team get the morning report refresh done and 
that's been done. And the other thing that um, I was very keen on getting over the line was the RNZ Asia unit, which started publication. Um, that's been a project that we've been working on here for the last two or three years, just trying to work out, A, what it would look like, and B, how we would fund it. We've got it over the line, and so now is as good a time as any to wander off into the wilderness for a bit. Okay. Well, news organisations, uh, particularly commercial ones, where you've worked for, I guess, most of your time, people have often you know, voiced a lot of fears that big news organisations could go under. Uh, all these media organisations still going, uh, even if they're uh, perhaps not as profitable uh, as they once were. Um, do you have the feeling now that things have stabilised or do you have fears that you know, the current range of media organisations we have won't necessarily be there in another 10 or 15 years? I think it's a fragile resilience at the moment. And from talking to my counterparts, um, you know, people I've used to work with in the commercial side, I, I you know, they are very challenged with revenue at the moment. The advertising revenue is down, as you would expect, with the economic situation that we're in. Um but I, I, I hark back to the very, very dark ages of 1990, 1991 when I started my journalism career and I think that I graduated uh, into a market where very few people actually could get jobs because the media industry at that time was having one of its regular cyclical downturns. So I feel like the narrative running through my career has been that the media industry is always in some sort of trouble. The commercial side is challenged, but there's always a challenge. Certainly it's been unprecedented in the last few years with the arrival of the Googles and the Facebooks who are just hoovering up the ad revenue that would normally have flown to um, to the newspapers and the, the good old days and, and the free-to-air television channels. I always go back to, I think, okay, look, these are troubled times, but, you know, when newspapers started back in the whenever 16th, 17th century, they probably didn't know what their, what their, um, what their business model was going to be like, and they managed to work something out. And so I'm cautiously optimistic that there'll always be some sort of commercial media going there. Um, I like that reaching back to the sort of end of the end of the dark ages yes. and the beginning of the Renaissance <laughs> for uh, hope for the business model. Yes. Uh, Gavin Ellis, a former editor in chief of the Herald, uh, who's been around a long time, he was looking at this saying there's a lot of senior editors moving around or, or leaving and, and named yourself as one of them at this particular moment. He was saying there's something going on here, maybe the pressures of the job, the endless deadlines, the fact hundreds of emails a day. It isn't the job that it used to be uh, and that it's wearing people out and people, you know, want their life back. He cited one, for example, Dallas Gurney, mm. former um, big wheel at News Talk ZB, then founder of the, um, the now defunct Today FM. You know, he's chucking it into by a shop near the beach, you mm. know, in his hometown up in the, in the far north. I mean, is there something like that going on? And if, if so, are there a lot of senior editors leaving right now and there's going to have to be a kind of refreshing of the ranks at, that, at this top level? Oh, look, I, I think any industry goes through periods when a lot of people leave and a lot of people step up. And I don't think that there's anything special about the news media in terms of the pressures and the workload um, you know, go and talk to someone in an A&E department at a hospital or go and talk to, I don't know, a firefighter, you know, anyone like that. We all, we, all, we all struggle with the workload. And it does seem that everything is busier and everything is fast-paced to a degree that it wasn't, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but certainly in, in the news media business, you are always on when you get to a certain um, position on the editorial ladder. For a lot of people in these senior roles, you know, we started off as journalists, we didn't really um, 
come into journalism to manage people, we came in to tell great stories. And some of us have, you know, failed upwards to, to get to to get to where we are. Uh, you know, it is quite a relentless job. You are always on. Uh, is that a symptom of how modern media works at the level of commentary, writing? Everything is enormous when there's something that really takes off, particularly political stuff that's yeah, still well covered. I think I think the thing that's changed most over the last sort of twenty to thirty years is the amount of commentary, opinion, analysis that gets thrown at any story these days. Uh, you know, back in the 90s, it would be a straight news story and there might be a sternly worded editorial in the Dominion Post uh, about ministerial um, hijinks and that would be it. But these days, there seems to be a lot more appetite from the audience to consume the commentary and the opinion piece and the analysis piece. Um, content providers, terrible term, uh, mm-hmm. but, but uh, there are a lot more people pumping out a lot more stuff. One thing that has changed... Back in the day, if we can put it like that, public money went to the public broadcasters. That was the purpose. They had nothing much to do with, you know, privately owned media companies. Now, that's not the case with the local democracy reporting service, which pays local papers effectively to employ or news outlets to employ reporters. We've had the Public Interest Journalism Fund, which has now come to an end, but for three years has put over $55 million or so into the media. Do you think that's helped the spreading of public money around media? Because you've worked at the kind of commercial benef- uh, outfits that have benefited from that. I think it has helped to a degree, but I don't buy into the narrative that some people push that somehow it means that the companies that accept this money are bought by the government. I just don't buy that at all because I know what journalists are like. And we don't exactly bite the hand that feeds us, but we are very sceptical about it. But I don't think that you can look to that money and go, this is what saved the commercial news industry from collapse. I'm sure it's been worthwhile. I'm sure it's helped. And it's helped deliver some great outcomes for the audience as well, which is what public money invested in the media should always aim to do. But whether it's something that should go on indefinitely, I don't know. I mean, New Zealand on air still has a pot of money to spend on on some ventures, so I don't think you're going to see a complete withdrawal of public funding of good news outcomes in the commercial media. Um, But certainly with the funding boost that Radio New Zealand or RNZ has received in the last budget, uh, I think there's going to be a lot more attention on this organisation to deliver some of those things. Right now would be a really interesting time to be leaving if you were, if the government had got its way and RNZ and TVNZ had been merged, mashed together, or yeah, a new entity created. The suspicion is that TVNZ never really wanted it and their management didn't go that far uh, to make it happen. Uh, but as far as from your point of view for RNZ, now that's not happening, do you think that it's a missed opportunity or has RNZ effectively dodged a bullet because it wasn't entirely clear what this new outfit would have been or would have provided? You know, right throughout my career, you know, whoever the shareholder of the organisation I've worked for has, you know, if that shareholder decides to do one thing, then, okay, we'll go and do that one thing until you tell us to stop doing it. Do you think it would have been good for RNZ News, though, if it had happened? I think there would have been opportunities for a bigger news operation that we may not have seen had we not got the funding boost afterwards. We were quite financially stretched, prior to the merger um, because we were delivering on a lot of things that we were told by the government keep delivering to the you know charter and to the statement of expectations etc so I think it's up to RNZ to take the extra money and deliver the outcomes that the public and that the audience needs
We've had a different hat in recent times as well, uh, the Media Freedom Committee, uh, which represents the mutual interests of New Zealand's um, main news organisations across different uh, media. Does our media need to do a better job of representing their mutual interests for things like where legislation affects them? Often the Media Freedom Committee hasn't, for just for one example, put in a submission on whistleblowing legislation, which we probably should have done. Is that something we need to up our game on? Look, everyone is very pressed for time. You know, there are a lot of senior editorial leaders on the Media Freedom Committee, but we are all really busy. And I guess, you know, that comes back to your original comment about, you know, are we all suffering from burnout and and stress? Well, there's only a certain amount of brain space you can put on the various things that you've got to do. So I think that, yeah, there have been missed opportunities. I think that the industry needs to do a better job of collaborating on on a few things. And I think that the commercial pressures are starting to focus the minds of of people on the need for cooperation and collaboration. Yeah, well, that, this is what the minister's been saying after the non-merger, after it didn't happen, saying, I still want to see this cooperation between organisations. To some extent, it happens. He, he's particularly talking about the state-owned mm. ones, RNZ and TVNZ. But really, unless someone at the very top level, you know, makes that happen. There really isn't an instinct to collaborate and, and join up in those ways, is there? No, but but when the money runs out, that will focus people's minds, basically. And I think quite apart from the money side of things, I think that as an industry, we've done a pretty bad job of selling ourselves to, to the audience as, and, and also um, and, and to potential journalists. You know, we've spent the last 10, 15, 20 odd years going, oh, we are so financially stuffed things are so grim, and things have been grim, but we've still managed to keep afloat, you know, uh, and to your point earlier, you know, most of the major organisations that were here 20 years ago are still here in some way, shape or form, and we haven't done a good job of going, this is a great, vibrant industry, you can have a lot of fun in it, well, what we've done, I think, not not deliberately, but just by highlighting some of the challenges, well, I think we haven't done a good enough job of highlighting some of the opportunities as well. We are going to have to cooperate and collaborate more as an industry. Politics is still pretty intensely covered. What are other areas you think where we have dropped off, things that we've dropped the ball or just don't get the scrutiny that they ought to have and are important? Look, I think regionally, um, had I been staying on at RNZ, I would have pushed for more regional. There is such a gap there, I think, particularly as the commercials have retreated to their metropolitan cause, they have um, left not news deserts, but certainly news savannas. I don't know. I'm groping for a term <laughs> which, here. Which, sort of, well, like one yeah. example could be, like, say, Gisborne Tairawhiti. So RNZ didn't have a reporter there. Um, the papers were, wasn't part of the stuff or NZME mm. Empire. They had the independently owned local paper. It's a really important place, big population, um, important for Māori issues as well. Not terribly well covered by national media. No, and I think I think the issue is that if you look across the country, most towns have some sort of media presence, whether it's a local community paper, whether it's um, a, a bureau from a bigger organisation. I guess the point I'm trying to make, perhaps quite badly, is that we need more regional reporters because if you're the only reporter in that town working for that community newspaper, you're only going to be able to tell a certain number of stories. Um, you know, we still have plenty of um, media companies in the regions, but do they have as many reporters as they did, say, 10 years ago or even five years ago? No. The gap probably for RNZ is to get more people into the regions and enable more of those stories to be told, both reflecting to their own communities but to the wider 
to the wider country. You know, it's really important as a as a society that um, I, as someone who lives in Auckland, can find out what's happening in Vicargill. I don't want to know, you know, what's happening with the mayoralty down there, what are the climate change issues that, 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 that Invercargill is facing as an Aucklander. That, that sort of reporting helps weave the country together. And the smelter, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, without that sort of reporting and without the people on the ground to do that reporting, you lose that. We need more reporters in the regions, not fewer. And seeing finally, seeing as you mentioned you've been in it since, what, the early 90s, one of the things that weirdly hasn't changed when you look at it, like um, at the moment there's this, the oversight of, of media, right, the regulation. You know, mm. we've still got these pre-internet regulators for broadcasting, for, for print, so-called legacy print media, for advertising, all of that. That's all still TVNZ, RNZ, RNZ, non-commercial TVNZ, mm. a state-owned broadcast. New Zealand On Air having the lion's share of the money for programming. So all of that stuff is the same in the early 90s. It was all set then, and it's mm. still in existence. Are you kind of disappointed that this sort of superstructure, the way New Zealand does media and over and the oversight of it, is all kind of still the same as it was in the early 90s? I guess it speaks to just how robust the structures are. They're still working. I'm, I don't know that there's perhaps the overwhelming need for structural change that perhaps policymakers seem to think there is. I think that the current structures that we have in terms of uh, self-regulation and also uh, um, official oversight from quasi-judicial bodies such as the, the Media Council and, and the BSA, I think they are sufficient for what they need to do. Are you going to be coming back in some capacity in the future? Or if you're not, are you going to be one of those people that will pop up with things to say about the way the news runs? Like Gavin Ellis this week, you know, he's been out of it uh, mm. for a time. He's in his mid-70s now, but still saying interesting things about the media with his depth of experience. Um, will you be doing a bit of that? I will be keeping my powder dry. I, I don't intend to uh, chip in from the sidelines. I think that I prefer to leave the people who are on the field to um, to do the do the do the playing. Um, and as to what I'm doing next, I really honestly have no idea. And for the first time in 30 odd years, I can say that. And there is a certain lightness to being able to say that. It was Richard Sutherland who left RNZ recently after nearly five years as its head of news, following about 25 years in which he's worked at almost every significant broadcast news operation in New Zealand. And Richard was also the chair of the outfit that represents the mutual interests of our news media, the Media Freedom Committee.